Good morning. Mission work is not like engineering. We had an engineer on our missionary team for a while, and he was terribly frustrated because in missions, you just can't make things happen like you can in engineering. Sometimes you just have to be patient and wait for God to do something. It's really more like farming. And you should see the Quechua people in Ecuador farming. Many of them have very small fields, sometimes on the steep side of a mountain. They start out walking in the chilly morning with their ponchos and wool hats and carrying a lunch and the tools they need. On steep slopes, we've seen them start at the bottom, working uphill, hoeing or planting while reaching upwards. They plant their corn, barley, or potatoes and expect it to grow and yield a harvest. But maybe instead there's a landslide and it destroys the crop, or it floods and destroys the crop, or both. Or God makes the crop grow and they have a bountiful harvest. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And here the seed is God's word, and the plant that grows is God's church, with new believers coming to him and becoming his children. And this is what mission work is all about. This is the goal. But we can't make it happen any more than you can make a crop grow and yield a harvest. Only God can. In fact, without God's active working, we cannot actually do anything at all that counts for eternity, that counts for God's kingdom. We can read this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's why prayer is so important and why we value so highly your prayers for us. Since only God can do it, prayer becomes vital. But when we ask God to do something, when he answers our prayer, it very likely will not be done when and how we want or imagine, because God's ways are not our ways. Let's read Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <clears throat> I've seen many examples of these principles in my life as a missionary. In fact, I preached a sermon similar to this one in some of our supporting churches about 13 years ago, but every single example I'm giving today is different, and all of them have happened since then. We just keep seeing new ways in which God's ways are not our ways. When I first came to Quito in 1998 as a widower with three teenagers, my job was supposed to be to learn the Quechua language and then to work to strengthen the many Quechua churches that already existed and to encourage them to use the Bible that had been translated into their language. But when I got there, I found that the Bible in Central Highland Quechua, the Quechua language with the most speakers, was out of print. And I began praying that God would provide a way for it to be reprinted. Soon after that, another mission had it reprinted, but it sold out again. 10,000 copies in about four years. That was over 20 years ago. This mission then did a revision, but we were then told that there were no funds available to pay for the printing. Many years later, I discovered 
that there was much more to the situation than I ever knew, involving problems between Christian leaders. But all we knew at the time was that we had hit a brick wall, and we were terribly disappointed. All we could do was to keep praying. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We hate to wait for things we want, but God often calls upon us to do just that. And God uses the waiting to make us strong and courageous. Then several years later, a Quechua friend named Daniel Sigler told me that he'd been hired by a different organization. This gets a little complicated. The International Bible Society, which is now called Biblica, to do a brand new translation of the Bible into Central Highland Quechua. And he said that he needed a linguistic consultant on it and would I help? I asked him if he knew anything about the other revision, and he said that they had checked and it wasn't available, so they decided to start over. And this made sense. And after several years of work, that New Testament was published in 2010 and has been a blessing to many. And uh, so, uh, if you want to see that New Testament, we can show it to you uh, after the service. Again, God answered our prayers, but in his own time and in his own way, not at all in the way that we had imagined. He always knows best, and he doesn't necessarily explain what he's doing, but he does answer our prayers. This was all very encouraging, but the Quechua's were wanting to have the whole Bible. Unfortunately, this Bible society did not have funds available to continue the project. But Daniel, the Quechua translator, was so determined to get the job done that he continued working on it without pay, and I continued to help him. But it went very slowly because he had to work for a living as a carpenter. In the meantime, a donor in the U.S. whose family was from Ecuador decided to pay for a bilingual version of the New Testament with Spanish in one column and Quechua in the other. The director of the local Quito office thought this was a great idea. And he asked Daniel and me to do whatever revisions we thought were needed. We actually made quite a few revisions to improve the translation. And so in 2017, 5,000 copies were printed in a very attractive format. And this edition was very popular and sold out in a year and a half. <clears throat> Again, it was encouraging to see God's word be being used. But by the time this bilingual New Testament sold out, eight years had passed since the New Testament was first published, and the people were still wanting to have the whole Bible. But then some interesting things started happening. After we let our supporters know that the bilingual New Testament had sold out, one of our supporting churches generously and unexpectedly gave a large donation to reprint it, and the local office of Biblica arranged to have more than a thousand copies printed in 2019. And then the local director in Ecuador came up with a bright idea. He really wanted the Old Testament to be completed, but he couldn't get funding for it from the international office. Bible translations for minority language groups are usually sold for a minimal amount rather than being given away because it's been demonstrated that people are really a lot more likely to read them if they have to invest something in them. Since the funds to print these New Testaments had not come from the international office, we could do what we wanted to with the money received from their sales. So he suggested that we set up an account to save this money and reinvest it in continuing with the Old Testament project, and we did so. 
And when Daniel heard this, he got, this, he got so excited. He said, so, if we sell all these New Testaments, there will be money so I can work full-time on the translation. I'm going to start selling New Testaments. So he went out and started visiting all the Kitchener churches where he had contacts, and he encouraged them to buy the, the New Testament so that the translation could, could continue. And I remember him taking big boxes of 24 New Testaments strapped to his back on the bus to, to visit these churches and sell them. Uh, and he sold a lot of New Testaments, and the funds started building up. And many Kichwas bought them. But again, they were begging for the entire Bible. Then later on in the same year, another mission in Ecuador heard about the Old Testament project lacking funds, so they donated some funds so that Daniel could continue working on it. Then we thought, it looks like God is providing. Maybe others would get excited about donating also. So we asked Mission to the World if we could set up a project to raise the funds through our supporting churches and friends. They were happy to do so. People did get excited about it, and funds were raised for the project to continue for several more years. And we've been working on it ever since. Daniel has completed Genesis through the Song of Solomon in first draft, and we hope to be able to finish it within a few more years and publish the entire Bible in a bilingual edition. But things did not happen at all the way we had planned them, or according to our timetable. God did it his way, and we never could have guessed it would work out the way it did. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, but they're higher and better. The interesting thing is that I worked with Wycliffe Bible translators for 23 years doing a lot of different jobs and learning an indigenous language in Colombia so that I could do a Bible translation in it, but I never actually did any Bible translation when I worked with Wycliffe. But since God led me to leave Wycliffe for simple practical reasons after I married Betty, I've worked on Bible translations in several different languages. Again, God's ways are not our ways. As I mentioned earlier, when I first came to Ecuador, my assignment was to strengthen the many Kitra churches that already existed and to encourage them to use the Bible that had been translated into their language. My job was not supposed to be Bible translation or church planning. But as we've seen, God changed those priorities, both to do Bible translation and it turns out also to do church planning. There are lots of Kichwa churches in Ecuador. Many of these are the result of a great awakening that occurred among the Kichwas in the 1960s and 70s, when thousands of them came to the Lord and hundreds of churches were planted. And those who came to the Lord then really did understand the gospel of God's free grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone because they were extremely poor and living lives of misery and drink from which God had miraculously freed so many of them. But God's word had not yet been translated into their language and Bible teaching at the beginning was very limited since there were few trained leaders and few who could read. Even when the Bible was translated for them, many of the churches never really got into the habit of using it effectively. And now that several generations have passed, Many churches will have beautiful singing of Kichwa hymns with their lovely Andean melodies and instruments, and even dance and other programs, but little solid Bible teaching. 
And many churches have no pastor, just a few untrained leaders who don't really understand the biblical pattern for leadership. So about halfway through my missionary career in Ecuador, we began to realize that it might be good to plant a model church for the Quichuas, one in which the teaching of God's word and evangelism are central, and in which there are trained pastors, elders, and deacons following the biblical pattern. For many years, I'd been finding myself needing to exercise some of the roles of a pastor, and I began to feel that God might be calling me to be ordained as a pastor or teaching elder. And in 2011, I started exploring this possibility, and the missions pastor of my church in the U.S. was very encouraging, saying that because of my many years of experience, he thought I could be ordained without having to go to seminary. It was very hard work, and I had to pass all the same tests that those who go to seminary do. But after doing a two-year church planning internship in Colombia, I was ordained as a pastor in 2014 in Evangel Presbytery. And I got to say that uh, Pastor Chad was a tremendous encouragement to me in that whole process. Uh, and I very much appreciated that. Uh, and in 2015, we returned to Ecuador with the vision to plant this model church. And God's hand was clearly leading and enabling through the whole process. And we'd worked for many years with an experienced Bible teacher named Segundo Angrango in leadership training and literature production in Quichua. And we talked about doing this church plant together. So we invited him to join us and to start the process of being ordained as a pastor. The question was where to do the church plant. My family needed to live in Quito, the capital city, because of our kids' schooling. And Segundo and his family were also living in Quito, but he'd been working for many years in a village in his home province of Imbabura named Pigulca, way up north, where our mission team had helped out in years past with various community projects. And he, w he had a second home in his home village near there. And he traveled up there all the time. So I asked him, do you think that would be a good place for a church plant? He said, no, none of the adults are really interested only the children, because we always do a vacation Bible school with them every summer. So we decided to do the church plant in the big city. The problem was how to get started. There are many thousands of Quechua speakers in Quito who've moved there looking for work, but they live scattered all over the city and not in any particular neighborhood. We visited various markets and neighborhoods to chat with Quechuas in various parts of the city, but we found that people were very busy and they didn't have time to talk, and we weren't finding much interest. And we prayed diligently to the Lord for wisdom and guidance. Then we decided to visit one of the city parks on a Sunday afternoon, the one time when many of the Quechuas have time off. And the first time we tried that, the Lord led us to two related Quechua couples who were enjoying the park with their children. We asked them if they were worshiping anywhere, and they said no. And they got very excited about worshiping with us. And they became the core families for our church plant. And God graciously led us to several other families. So that for several years, we had a congregation of between 30 and 40 people, which was very encouraging. The English Fellowship Church in Quito graciously provided us with a place to meet. And we preached through the book of John to ground them in the message of the gospel of free grace. And then through the book of Acts to teach them about evangelism and the formation of new churches. And we learned many of their beautiful native hymns set to lovely Andean tunes. 
and we work with them to teach them to read well the long words that are such an integral part of their language. And we started having monthly dinners at the church, and the people pitched in and brought their own delicious traditional food. And we even began teaching some of the older people to read who had never learned. And we started a men's prayer breakfast to begin to teach the men how to be good husbands and fathers and church leaders. And we started planning an evangelism program to teach people how to share their faith. And then the COVID pandemic hit. Y'all will remember how hard that was, especially in the beginning. But in Ecuador, the restrictions were much more stringent than in much of the United States. And all churches were closed for nearly a year. And many businesses closed. And many of the people in our congregation lost their jobs or couldn't sell their products and had no money. And many churches went to online services. But in our case, that wasn't possible because most of the people in our congregation did not have reliable internet. However, almost all of them did have cell phones, even if they just had prepaid accounts that only cost them $3 a month. In Ecuador, you can receive calls without being charged. You only get charged if you initiate a call. So we would call them, and we, and we did call them every week if possible, and we asked them how they were doing, and we prayed with them and read scripture with them. And during that time, we focused on the many Bible passages that teach about God's comfort and care and how we can cast all our anxieties on him and trust him no matter what happens. Then finally, after a little more than a year, we were allowed to meet again in person, but only if we met outdoors in tents, well separated from each other, and everyone wore masks, and we took everyone's temperature, and we sprayed everyone with disinfectant, if you can imagine. But we could meet, and most of the families returned. Then by the beginning of 2022, we were sufficiently encouraged about the growth of our little congregation that we decided it was time to move from a Bible study towards being a constituted church. We had two couples attending who had already been baptized in other churches and several others who had made professions of faith. So we received those two couples as members and we started celebrating the Lord's Supper and talking about what a church is and about the importance of baptism and church membership. And near the end of the year, we were able to baptize one other adult and receive her as a member, which was very exciting. But others were struggling with various issues. One lady clearly loved the Bible teaching and the singing. And she'd been a faithful attender for years. And she often asked for prayer for herself and her family during our regular prayer time in our service. And it had become clear that she truly trusted Christ as her savior. But when we challenged her to be baptized, she said, I can't, my children wouldn't like it. We explained that part of being a Christian was to identify publicly with Jesus through baptism, which is the sign of the covenant. She said, yes, I understand, but I'm, I'm still saved even though I don't get baptized, right? That's a difficult one. Very carefully and patiently, we explained that, yes, she would still be saved, but that this was something that Jesus commanded all believers to do, and that it's an important part of our, of, of our obedience as a Christian, of her obedience as a Christian. In any case, we told her that she was still welcome in our fellowship 
and that we would continue to pray for her and encourage her. But it wasn't long before her attendance started dropping off. And even though we continued to call her regularly and encourage her, she eventually stopped coming. Others were struggling with other issues. About half the congregation was composed of one large family, the children and grandchildren of one lady. And they had all attended for many years, along with the man we assumed was her husband, though after a while we realized that none of the children were his. And he'd made a profession of faith several years before, but he seemed reluctant to be baptized, and we couldn't quite understand why. Then one day in casual conversation, they mentioned that they were encouraging her son to marry his girlfriend, but that they didn't have a lot of leverage since they themselves were not married. Aha, I thought, this might explain some things. So I started talking with them, explaining that if they really wanted to follow Jesus and commit their lives to him, we would be happy to baptize them, but that they needed to obey God's law about marriage and would either need to get married or stop living together. And that's an important message in the United States now as well. But I said, if you want to get married, we can do it right here in this church. I can take you upstairs and show you the nice sanctuary where they hold weddings. But you can't keep on as you are. Surprisingly, she was willing, but he wasn't. And through further conversation, we realized that they'd both been married before and that he had children from his earlier marriage, but that they'd both been divorced and had no impediments to getting married. But it was clearly a messy situation. Her children liked him and would have had no problem, but evidently his children wouldn't like it at all. So we prayed with them and assured them that, like the other lady, they were still welcome in our fellowship and that we would continue to pray for them and encourage them. And they continued with us for quite a while after that. But then they faced several other crises, which are always happening in our lives. And we tried to encourage them to make biblical choices in those crises, but they ended up making poor choices. And finally, they dropped out of our fellowship. And since they represented about half the congregation, that was quite a blow. And all of this was quite difficult, not just for our leaders, but also for the rest of the congregation. And even our two original core families began to get discouraged, especially as they started facing crises of their own, continuing economic struggles after the COVID crisis, desperate relatives who decided to go illegally to the US and left their daughter with them, and so on. And we really don't know all the reasons but our congregation finally dwindled to just one family. And we had to make the decision to not ask Segundo to continue with this church plant during our year here in the US. Even though he had successfully kept it going for several summers while we were gone. And this was a very sad and difficult decision after we'd invested some seven years of our lives in this work. However, in the meantime, God was raising up another possible congregation. As I mentioned earlier, for more than 10 years, Segundo had been working with a group in the small town of Pigulca, located about 60 miles north of Quito, and our mission team had also helped the village in various projects over the years. And for years, only children had been really interested in attending meetings. But within the past couple of years, partly as a result of the trials of the COVID pandemic, 
There were many families who wanted to get serious with God. And several months ago, 20 or 30 people decided that they wanted to hold weekly church meetings, but they had no place to meet. And in the past, Segundo and his wife, Laura, had been holding meetings in the small community center, but it had fallen into disrepair. So we came up with a community project. We would provide the money necessary for the repairs, and Segundo, along with others from the community, would provide the labor. That way, the entire community would have a center again, and the Christians could have a place to meet. And it worked wonderfully. Segundo took charge of getting the materials, and he, along with several other community members, got everything fixed up in about three weeks. And the community held a great reopening with a Children's Day event the first Saturday of June. And we're praying that this congregation will thrive and grow, and that Segundo can be ordained as their pastor in the future. And I'm continuing to be involved in his pastoral training, and he participates in an online program through a denomination in Colombia that we work closely with. But that's also in the Lord's hands. But this still begs the question, were the seven years we invested in the church plant in Quito just wasted effort? Well, we know that the answer is no. We preached the gospel to many, many people and faithfully taught God's word week after week. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 say, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So we know that our preaching and teaching were not wasted but that they'll bear fruit in many of these lives at some point. So, have we given up on our vision to plant a model church among the Quichuas? No, we still see the need for this, and we'll continue praying that God will build such a church or help us to encourage existing churches to become that model. But it seems that our plan for building such a church was different from God's plan. Now, tomorrow is New Year's Day. And very often we make plans at the beginning of a new year or we make resolutions that we never keep. And it's good and necessary to plan. If we don't plan, we're less likely to use our time and resources effectively. But the Bible teaches that we always need to include God in our plans. We always need to remember that his plans may be different from ours. James 4, 13 through 16 say, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So we need to make our plans. But humbly, we need to be prepared for God to change them and not gripe at him if he does. Though I know from experience that griping is sure easy to do. God's ways are not our ways, but they're higher than our ways. And he is always faithful. So plant and water and pray 
and see what God will do. And please keep praying for us in our missionary work because your prayers make a difference. And in your own life, when you find that God is not answering your prayers as quickly as you would like, or the way that you would like, don't give up. After 44 years of ministry on the mission field in three different countries, I've seen God's faithfulness every step of the way. So keep on praying and trusting him, and he will answer in his good time and in the very best way. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you sent your son to save us as we remember his coming in this special time of the year. And we thank you that you lead us and guide us. And we thank you that your ways are not our ways, but they're higher than our ways and that you know best and that we can always trust you. And we pray that you will teach us to trust you more and more each day, even when things don't go as we plan. And we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In your precious name, amen.